to the Trap One podcast. On this episode, we'll be talking about Old Friends, the fourth volume of Ninth Doctor Adventures from Big Finish in his first series. Delighted to have with me talking about this two old friends, well, middle aged, should we say, friends, Keith and James. Welcome. <laughs> Hello. I was about to say, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> So before we talk about old friends, since we last had you on, James, you visited the Time Fracture event in in that London. I did, yeah. How was that? Do you know what? It was was a fun experience. I would say it was quite chaotic. It was... um, Because you have all these different... um, bits and pieces that you can do so you're very unlikely to get the same experience twice Um, because as you walk in you're separated into different groups different characters come over and interact with you Um, you know I I ended up being I think I said to you rather excitedly I ended up being sat next to Brian the Ood who was like my (laughs) favorite character from uh, from last year's sort of epic Um, so uh, that was quite good. That was quite ex- exciting, although I came across as very nerdy when I said, you're Brian the Ood. And he went, no one knows who I am. So I was just like, <laughs> oh, there we go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I took my other half. He's not very much into Doctor Who. And he had a good time and, you know, said that it, it was it was fun visiting different locations, different aliens, different historical figures. Um, there's a beautiful sort of... I was going to say interval, but there's a beautiful sort of rest point um, where you can sort of have a drink and and gather your wits about you before going into the sort of finale of it. Um, yeah, I, I I was in awe of the energy of the people around me um, and and how they sort of conducted it and kept the story moving. And you'd see a group disappear, and then you'd see them reappear five minutes later, and they had a different sort of angle on the story so i would recommend it um i would say just go with it because <laughs> you, you you you're just one minute you're you're part of one little storyline and then someone will come over and go come over here come over here come over here and you you sort of like ended up banging a drum at an auction and you, but the thing was in a lot of the groups i was with i was the only one that would talk so they would have the character trying to interact, and they just kept pushing me forward. They were like, "Yeah, you go. You 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 seem comfortable with this. You go to the front." Uh, so I had a really good time because I got to interact with lots of different people. But yeah, it's it's a fun experience. That sounds great. I'd, I'd love to try and get to that. Um, it'd be even better if it if it's sort of toured a little bit and uh, it was away from London. It'd be uh, it'd be good to try and get to, but. That's great. No, I know what you mean about the last time I went to Doctor Experience when you do that bit. It was sort of a weekday afternoon. There was no kids there and all the sort of interactive stuff like finding the crystals and things like that was designed for kids. And it was just a lot of adults sort of uh, standing there looking a bit awkward and thinking like, <laughs> don't pick me, don't pick me. <laughs> I mean, Did there are bars as, as you go through. There are sort of bars where you can buy alcohol. So I'm not that I'm saying that the kids would do that. But for the adults, there's there's, you know, points which might make the day a little bit better more sort of relaxed cool that sounds fantastic 
sounds terrifying. The idea of anything interactive just fills me with dread. So I think I would avoid that as a plague. <laughs> I would definitely be standing at the back looking incredibly awkward. <laughs> just wait for everybody else to go first and just go, right, I'm just going to stroll along. <laughs> Like feign a disability or something, so I can get out of it. <laughs> and so, to to old friends, uh, which is the uh, say the fourth and final volume in the ninth Doctor Adventures from Big Finish of season one. Of season yes. one, yeah. Christopher Eccles doing season he's doing a second series. Who has been announced? Yes. Yeah, this is exciting. Jason Hay Geller is led in by the checkbook. Yeah. <laughs> it, it does, I mean, it does come across in the behind-the-scenes interviews and everything that he is really enjoying it. He's enjoying the writing, the people he gets to work with, that type of thing. It, it, it doesn't seem like it's just about the money or, or anything else, does it? And I suppose as things have opened up and he's carried on as well, he uh, must be quite enjoying it, I think. You get the impression he's the kind of chap, if he wasn't enjoying it, he wouldn't have come back, would he? So he's, uh, as he's quite definitely shown on the television. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, his, um, on the extras on this one where he's, he's talking about John Coleshaw playing the Brigadier and he's, he's, he's really like, you know, I've got my moment with the Brigadier. He, he, he's really enthusiastic about it. And like you say... It, I think if he wasn't enjoying it, it would come across and when he does the interviews. But his, his, I think the way, uh, I know we'll probably talk a little bit more retrospectively about the other stories as well as the ones that we're going to review today. But I think the way that they have sort of built the stories up and, and developed the Doctor, and, and, and I remember when we sat down, first batch of stories, we were like, well, where do they take him? Because how do they change the Doctor because we know what he's like when he meets Rose. He's this sort of battle-damaged, uh, you know, guy who's not really looking for a companion. He's 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 just he's already mid-adventure, and and Rose sort of you know falls into his life. How do they take him from where he was at the beginning of the audio stories, where he doesn't really talk about the time war at all, to mm. to that point, and. Um, and I think they've done it really skillfully, and, and again through these stories as well, they've done it, done it really well. So you don't think, oh, it's a completely different Doctor to what we see at the beginning of season one of the new series. They've they've sort of woven those stories quite well. I think mentally, though, as the uh, big Finnish range is expanding and expanding, I'm starting to think of them now as like separate universes now, rather than just like uh, things you can slot in. Because particularly the early Doctors now. It, it's this ludicrous number of stories between like the macro terror and the faces ones and things like that now. So I think mentally now I just think of this as like as an alternate timeline because mm. I, I like most fans. I have my list of ultimate stories and I put them all in and I slot them all in and it is getting bizarre now. I mean, I've got three, six doctor final stories now. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> eventually we have to pick one. So it's uh, yeah. So I think like the old, like the old annuals, um, they seem to have like the little the universe all of their own. I think Big Finish now mm. have become a universe all of their own for me now. So I don't really mind if they don't, if he's not exactly as he was at the end, uh, beginning of Rose, because I think now this is his alternate self. Yeah, I think that I don't want to skip ahead too much, but in 
the last story of this one, the conversation he has with the brigadier, sets it up that if there wasn't another audio, it, it would fit in really well with the beginning of the next the next season. You know, where the brigadier is saying, uh, you know, do you really feel happy being on your own, traveling on your own? You should find someone to travel with. Um, and that would have led, led really nicely into that story. I mean, obviously, we now know we're going to get more. But I, I thought, uh, you know, when they were writing it, they might have thought, well, if, if this is going to be the last one that we do, let's have a tenuous link into into the next, you know, into the um, to the first season. That occurred to me as well with that scene. Yeah, that um, even the whole story, I think, of him reconnecting with the brigadier is, you know, he is ready to have friends again in his life after mm-hmm. the time war. And that was sort of opening the door, meeting the brigadier again that and the, and the brigadier having that conversation that if it had been one series and done, it, it would have bridged that quite nicely, wouldn't it? Well, it's rather nice. That was, that was inspired by a funeral, so that made him feel wistful. So it's a nice sort of like little continuity between them all as well. Yeah. Because this time round you get, really you've got a, a single story and then you've got a two-parter. Mm-hmm. But they are, like you say, they're really nicely linked because at the end of the first story, he says, I'm going, I'm going to go and see an old friend because of what happens during that, that first story. So I think it's, it's quite nice. We, we started with a three stories that were part of a trilogy, then we had lots of separate stories, but had a sort of, not really an arc, but something that connected them all, so like the distress calls and things like that. And, and now we have these three stories that are all looking at death and looking at friendship and, and relationships and development and, and there's lots of parallels in some of the some of these stories and they they knit really nicely together so before we start talking about the stories in more details probably just say that we'll be talking spoilers that we won't be uh won't be sort of you know talking around things that happen so if you haven't listened to the stories yet uh please uh Save this podcast until you have. So the first story is called Fond Farewell by David K. Barnes. The doctor goes to a funeral parlor to attend the funeral of an old friend, uh, only to find that it is quite a unique funeral where the deceased is reincarnated or or, uh, sort of re- What's the word? Synthetically created. Yeah. Yeah, synthetically created um, for a day so that they can say a proper goodbye to their loved ones. So do you think, which which funeral home would you rather go to? Fond Farewell, Tranquil Repose, (laughs) Tenille and Company, or the 3W Institute? Oh, you're equally dead no matter which one you go to, really, aren't you? <laughs> but your <laughs> your chance of getting your volivants is uh, pretty reduced because I mean that's a high death toll in every institution, really, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh... They they all uh, reanimation. That's the word I was trying to think of yeah. before. They they're all in some way will bring you back, won't they? So <laughs> drunk will report you. You'll come back as a Dalek or dinner. Sneal <laughs> um, <laughs> and Company, you come back as a Gelf zombie. <laughs> Three Dwinch as a Cyberman, or Fond Farewell, you'll come back as a synthetic clone, but you are yourself 
for a day. So I, I think that would be my my choice. You're a is synthetic it, clone, but you can watch your friends and family being slaughtered. So I mean, it's yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's an odd one, isn't it? Because it, uh, whilst part of me goes, that's a, that's a nice idea that you can say your goodbyes to people, but then your loved ones have to basically watch you die a second time, which I think is also quite morose in a way. It's like, yeah, we we brought you know brought James back to life for twenty four hours, so you're gonna have a you know. There is part of me that was like, yeah, I'd love to attend my own funeral and, and have a big celebration. But then on the flip side of that, I don't necessarily want to see my you know my family go through the pain of of losing me a second time. Well, um, I would so get to. <laughs> There's <laughs> a bit of a, a bit of a weird sort of morality on that. Go on, um, cry for me again, and I could watch you doing it this time. Come yeah. on, <laughs> you, you weren't upset enough that first time. No, let's lay it on with us. <laughs> I think there's an element of if you didn't get to say goodbye, there would be closure, wouldn't they? That you could say the things that you wanted to say and that type of thing. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it is an interesting idea, isn't it? That you say, would would you do it? And I suppose there's two sides to the question. Would you yourself want that type of funeral? Um, and you could see uh, who turns up and whether they say nice things about you. There was a recent, the most recent series of Curb Your Enthusiasm. One of Larry David's friends did this, where they uh, they had a funeral but weren't dead so that they could see what people said about them. Uh, <laughs> and it reminded me a little bit of that. But then if nobody turned up or... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, you only had a handful of people there. It might be a bit dispiriting, I suppose. But then, and the other side of it is, would you do it for yourself? But then, I suppose, would you do it for a loved one as well? Mm. Um, in terms of giving giving yourself the opportunity to to see them again. But if nobody but, turned up, at least you've got like a like a day to change your will and stuff, just to spite them, haven't you? So you can yeah, still take advantage. I'm just going to do this. <laughs> You just do some admin on your uh, on your day. <laughs> I've got seven hundred eighty-two emails. <laughs> delete, 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 delete. Sorry, I've died. Delete, delete. Sorry, nephews, it's all going to the RSPCA now. Bye. <laughs> I'll teach you a decent suit to my funeral. Thank you. I think that the, the added moral dilemma, if you like, is the editing of the memory. So you, that beside the sort of, you know, bringing someone back to life to say goodbye, the, the idea that the memories had changed and, you know, the doctor turns up and says, well, I was invited to this funeral and the character says, no, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't remember you. I, I think at the, I mean, there's there's a love story at the heart of this. Several, in fact, because you've got the, 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 the wife and then the, the mistress, the sort of situation. And again, you know, as if bringing someone back to life wasn't bad enough to do this, then editing their memories so that they have forgotten a significant person in their life who in their last, you know, days of life was in love with, that is quite dark as well, you know, Mm. and, and... why did the, the editing of the memories, that... though, made the Thomases kill the guests? I never quite got my head around that. Yeah, the, because I, I think because the, the the feeling and the emotions were so strong, the bits that they they took out made everybody homicidal. Yeah, were then sort of damaging. 
the the AI because it was like, well, actually, no, because because the the um, like avatars kept on saying, "I'm still here," hmm. which was like that part of him that was. I know they had to for a Doctor Who story, but I couldn't quite get my head around why that had made them do that. Mm. They, they said he, the part of him that was left in the system was so desperate to be whole again that he decided to rejoin the Western continent. That yeah, it was um, it was just like, like you say, it was overriding the AI, and there was no sort of malice in it. There was no trying to kill people. It was the, the <laughs> never had to slaughter them. That's <laughs> <laughs> the only bit. Of, I mean, I love this story, but it's the only bit I couldn't quite get my head around why that made. The, the Thomases turn like homicidal because I know in Doctor Who any robot with a calm sounding voice has to be murderous by the end of an episode but <laughs> I couldn't quite see why they were doing that they weren't sort of like um, reaching out for contact like they were in the um, oh the first David Tennant story what was that one for the uh, for the cats I can't remember it's called yeah. Yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah but I just couldn't quite see why edited memories would suddenly turn everybody homicidal. But everybody in this were really horrible. I mean, the woman who was running the home was basically an upper-class twit who was incompetent. Then the mistress actually sort of, like, went to the funeral and sort of, like, introduced herself in front of the wife. I mean, the wife had already sort of, like, edited the memories and actually caused it. I mean, nobody in this was particularly (laughs) worthy. Mm -hmm. The actual chap was an adulterer, in effect, wasn't he? So, I mean, yeah, I think they all deserve what they got, frankly. I mean, it... These three stories, and, and this one in particular, considering it's a funeral, a very tight cast, a very small member into the small cast. So when you've got this funeral and you've got, like, you know, they talk about all these people that have turned up, there's only about five characters. Mm-hmm. And, and they are all very closely linked to um, to Professor Flynn. I think it's Professor Flynn Beckett, isn't it? They're, they're very closely linked to that, that character. And you're right. They, apart from the Doctor who... You get this wonderful flashback sequence of their last adventure together, which is actually really quite a contrast. You've got the all of the things that are going on in. Um, I was about to say tranquil repose, then because you put that into my head in fond <laughs> farewell. You've got all these things that are going on around fond farewell, and then you've got this sort of high octane flashback to their last adventure, which is really quite you know quite exciting and really lifts it. Uh, for the moment and you can see why the doctor liked him you know you can see why um he he wanted to go to the funeral so the 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 flynn character i think in the flashback is, is really quite vibrant and then obviously you get sort of two flynn's if you like because we've got the memory edited uh one and then the one that's trying to to reconnect Quite Indiana Jones that flashback, isn't it? There's something uh, Indiana Jones about it with the. Uh, it's almost like the you know the Nazis chasing them through the jungle. Mm. Um, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting take because what occurred to me when I was listening to it is there's not many characters that this Doctor just straightforwardly likes like mm. that. Like there's none of the sort of the stupid ape stuff or you know the impatience or anything else. He genuinely just really respects and likes this guy, even though. As you say, Keith is an adulterer. Um, he obviously does. He has done a, a lot of good work in conservation as well. Is the idea, um, but it was. I don't think we've really met anybody else up to that point 
on TV or in the audios that the that the doctor just immediately takes to, and uh, and has that kind of rapport with. So that was interesting. But also, just go back to what you're saying about the the AIs killing everybody. It kind of forced the decision, didn't it, of whether to reunite his old memories or to repl- to put his old memories uh, back into the synthetic form of him. I felt like if there wasn't that need to stop the synthetic AIs killing people, it would have been more of a dilemma for the for the characters to resolve, you know, because you've got the the wife who doesn't want that because she wants the version of him before he fell in love with uh, the mistress. Is it? Uh, she, can't quite remember um, her name. Sasha. Sasha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you've got you know the doctor who does uh, and Sasha who want the version that they knew and had this uh, adventure with and, and and all the rest of it. Um, and then what he would want himself would would he want to know what he did? But the, the that sort of overriding urgency of the uh, of of the the deaths kind of takes that decision out of their hands a little bit. So I think it it might have been interesting for them to resolve that without that impetus. If that makes sense. But I suppose in the end, it's a Doctor Who story, not a philosophical debate, isn't it? Fascinating though that is, in a Doctor Who story, when you've got robots, they've got to turn nasty. <laughs> it is, it's very unlike a Doctor Who story, though, in that the the plan which is unmasked at the end, the the, the fact that his his memories have been edited, it's setting you up to think it's it's an evil corporation or mm. one of his enemies of, of Beckett that's done this because that's uh, in the flashback he ominously says to the Doctor, "People are going to try and bring me down because I've uh, because I've you know gone against all these uh, these corporations that exploit." nature and, and things like that and then the fact that it, it all comes down to his wife editing the last part of his life so that he doesn't remember that he fell in love with somebody else that's quite undoctor who isn't it it's uh, it brings it down to a much more personal domestic level it is it's not a megalomaniac trying to take over the universe it, it is a hurt wife who was a well-meaning incompetence you know it was yeah a- it was decided, you know, and, and they talk about how she has spent all her money on this, you know, and, and again, you, you, you've got so many layers to this because it's tragic because she's basically, you know, used all her money to have this one opportunity to have one day with him where he loves her. And the mistress stands up, like you say, and says, hi, I'm the mistress. And the doctor goes, hi, I remember the mistress. But, it, you know, it's... For, I mean, none of, like you say, none of the characters come out of this really well. And the ending is, is apart from the doctor being more reflective and saying, I'm going to go and see the brigadier, the ending is horrible for everybody involved because, you know... the. the the wife's like, I don't want to, I don't want to speak to you. You know, it's like, you know, we'll, we'll do this, but I, I'm not happy with it. No one really gets a fulfilled ending. I was um, quite pleased that Winifred survived, though, because usually sort of like the the corporate face is always the one that gets killed off in, especially in New Who, isn't it? But uh, yeah, I'm quite glad she sort of like lived to uh, make up her cover story. Until we see her again in another story somewhere down the line. <laughs> <laughs> Juliet Stevenson as well, which I thought was quite a casting coup. 
who was who was very good. But it, and wasn't again, crying because normally it's tears and snot all the way with Juliet Stevenson. But actually, <laughs> yeah, she uh, kept her composure through the whole thing. She did. She she had a, a I don't know. She wasn't again. It wasn't like a malevolent character. She just had this like really sort of. Uh, it was kind of like a hyacinth bouquet kind of <laughs> character of just like oh, this is my business and what are you what are you talking about? Just kind of. Um, She's very dotty and uh, yeah, it seemed a little bit at odds because if if it had been a sort of family run little funeral parlour but then they said that they have branches sort of all over this uh this system don't they and she seemed like an odd person for to be put in place unless it was just that she's quite a comforting person for the bereaved to deal with i think it's a sympathetic face isn't it yeah because she was good at the uh, consoling i mean the opening scene is is her having a cup of tea she's like oh yeah i'll have a cup of tea and then we'll get on with the day and it's it's all very humdrum isn't it it's like we're bringing people back to life oh let's have a cup of tea first you know <laughs> it, it's very odd the, the second listen you do see there's a lot of really nicely placed clues and and bits and pieces things that are unsaid but you realize the significance of on a second listen so in the flashback uh bef- just before they all go to bed and and sasha is she she goes to bed first and she says goodnight to Flynn and he says something like, oh, I'll see you in the morning. Uh, and then you realise on the second listen, once you know that they've had an affair, that he's saying, I'll see you in the tent in a minute sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some, yeah, so, and, and the, 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 the worries that uh, the funeral home director lady has uh, they, they you you think she's just a bit neurotic the first time, but then the second time you realize it's because she's clumsily edited. She has not the uh, system up, yeah, yeah. That Beckett's memories, and she she doesn't know whether it's going to uh, whether it's going to work, or and that's why she's worried about things going wrong. What do you think the doctor's the most sort of annoyed at? Is it bringing someone back to back uh, back to life? Is it the editing of the memories? Because it, I love Christopher Eccleston's portrayal in this because he he's very measured. He you know he he's he's very <clears throat> questioning about the practices, the morality, but he's not sort of you know standing on top of his soapbox and saying this is wrong and I'm going to shut you down, which is more of a sort of traditional Doctor Who kind of story where the Doctor goes in, finds something he doesn't like, and decides that overnight this is all going to come to an end. But he, he he kind of walks away. He just he he says, "Okay, you know, this is not what I'm particularly happy about." But walks away from the situation. But he's still not. He doesn't come across as very happy about any of it. Yeah, I think he's, he's he doesn't seem too bothered about the the reanimation part of it so much as the the memory editing. And I suppose what you see the the Doctor do later with the likes of River Song, isn't it? In, in Silence of the Library is. Uh, is bring people well, not really so much bring people back, but it's, it's, it's all the doctor's kind of MO is finding ways of saving people from from the bring other that they're not really saved in this, I guess. But mm. you know, I'm thinking about like sort of Clara and Bill and, and things like that as well. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an odd one, I guess it's just individual choice, isn't it, as to whether people want to go through with that or, or their loved ones do. Is he more annoyed by the fact that 
people didn't believe that he didn't know what was going on all the time. It was like, <laughs> it was, he was like a couple of times, he was like, how, how can you not know this? And he was just like, that was his main source of irritation, wasn't it? Not sort of like any moral high ground. It was just like the, the minutiae and that's sort of like back to the stupid ape things, isn't it? His, mm -hmm. um, that's his alienness rather. I think the whole thing shows him as alien because his morality is different to the way that we would expect our hero to be. So I like that. Again, there are there are subtle shades of the time war where I think there's a conversation where he talks about lost loved ones, but it, it, again, it's not heavily drawn on. You know, we're we're not at that sort of battle damaged, you know, um, person. But it is it is very gently hinted at, and and then more so in the next story as well. Um, where sort of the brigadier knows something has happened, but it's it it's very just just under the surface, and I think Eccleston does really well with just sort of these sort of emotions that sort of float up to the surface very briefly and then back down, and he's you know he's 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 full on, and it's been for me the highlight of this entire you know season is Eccleston's portrayal of the Doctor is is just the the shades that he gets in there, uh, you know, so much joy of playing the Doctor and, and you know, there's some brilliant one-liners and sparky comments, but at the same time, there's the depth to the Doctor who's just like, there's more going on than he lets you, lets you see. Nuance in Doctor Who, whatever next. I know. <laughs> Not sure I approve. <laughs> <laughs> So we said that this story leads into the next one, which is which is a two-parter, in the style of the modern series has has two titles, "Way of the Burryman" and "The Fourth Generation" by Roy Gill. In this one, uh, the Doctor arrives in Scotland again. He, he, they even uh, make a point of mentioning that uh, after the Macbeth story, and there's a story where is it Dundee? Story. Yeah, when, the. Um, whether the people have been separated from from their bodies and become uh, yeah sort of non corporeal, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it, given how little the Doctor normally visits Scotland, it's uh, <laughs> it is obviously quite a few in a row. And uh, I didn't really pick up it in the story, but in the behind the scenes, they they talk about this being a deliberate thing that the TARDIS is bringing him to Scotland because there's something there, and it is the it is the the fourth generation mm. uh, of Cybermen, which. The the sidemen are, are on the cover and the and the packaging art for this story, and I, I wondered if uh, if the surprise would have, given that they're not in the the story titles at all, whether that would have been a nice surprise had they not been on there when they when they appear at the end. And it wasn't the, initially; it was literally, I think, the yeah. the day of release. It appeared as well, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, in terms was, of sales, it's probably a good idea, but I really wish that could have been a surprise. That would have been excellent. Mm. It was it was held back. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't on the original cover art when it first went to pre-sale, but then it it was put on. It, yeah. It, I mean, it, you've got that sort of Cyberman involvement sort of towards the end of the first episode, so it would have been a good, you know, a good thing to keep secret. I I like, however, how they've linked it to Metropolis. Mm. And how the, you know there was, uh, but you've now got 
two different Cybermen. Because the thing is, it's like we had a Cyberman last season, and now we've got the Cybermen again, and it's kind of like, oh, okay, is that is that too much Cybermen? But actually, I, I don't think so because first Cyberman in Metropolis, and you know, we talked about this um, last time we when we did a review together. He's really sort of he doesn't he wants to, the Cyberman wants to die because he doesn't want to be used by anyone to you know to to kill anyone again. Whereas this Cyberman is is very different in the fact that this Cyberman is feeling the loneliness, but is combating that by creating the fourth generation. So is is you know has got this plot to to rebuild a cyber army. Whereas the other one was just like, I don't want to carry on anymore because I don't want to be used by someone else. So there's an interesting divergence between the two, um, the two Cybermen and the two stories. And I think, again, I think there was pretty much um, a couple of other stories I've said this. I'd love to see this visually. I mean, the the, the idea that these Cybermen have been built out of the same... Coming out uh, of the bridge structure, that would look amazing, yeah. wouldn't it? That would look yeah. absolutely astonishing. Yeah, yeah, um, and it, and it's you know probably in big finish that you could get away with something of that grand scale because you know I, I imagine a producer would have gone and the budget is uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get the Slovene back for another episode. Um, <laughs> but you know here though you have this this nightmarish image of these these sort of um these cybermen these steel fourth bridge cybermen sort of appearing um but but also you've got um creel is it creel creel yeah creel, creel yeah who's who's this rasping sort of just about hanging on to to sort of functionality bandaged monstrosity yeah. damaged yeah. yeah um so i you know there's plenty of of different types of Cybermen for you to get, you know, engaged with, uh, as well as, and I'll stop talking in a second because I really liked this, as well as all of the folklore and ghost stories and things that 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 also sit in this story. So it's a great combination. It's really it just occurred to me when when you're saying there about uh, having the the Cybermen twice in this season, it does mirror the Daleks in season, series one, doesn't it? Of having the the lone one who doesn't want to keep following orders and and be a monster, and then next time they come back, there's an army of them, um, and again that have been created from leftover humans um, and, and and kind of yeah that adapted from humans. So mm. that hadn't occurred to me before then. I thought the first episode was very sapphire and steel in that people were reliving other people's deaths and they were being like almost recreating them like uh, steel does in adventure two and things like that. And um, Sam literally relives some of his final moments. And I genuinely thought it was taking us down the ghost story route, which I thought, fine, I love a ghost story. Then suddenly to have the Cybermen technological at the end of that, I thought it was ingenious because it was totally twisted. I mean, if we had not known they were in it, we would have that would have been so out of left field, it would have been marvelous. Mm. But uh, I did like the the spookiness at first, the um, uh, just the haunting atmosphere of it. I mean, especially the, the the mist rolling in when it was starting. I mean, that would look brilliant as well. You, mm. And 
I mean, that could have been the cheap bit. I mean, some, an actor standing there just doing a, a performance of a dying man, that could be the cheap bit before the effect shops at the end. But uh, I thought that was really affecting. And as I say, it did remind me of um, Stafford's deal, Adventure 2, but that's not a bad thing to draw on. Yeah, and I thought the whole thing about the, the steel structure acting like the stone tape, uh, and the Doctor says something about, like, before there was kind of magnetic tape, mm. they, they used um, they used steel and things like that, and it, it's reminded me, you know, it's set in sort of 2004-ish, I think, isn't it, that, you know, when Doctor Who came back, I was still recording them on, on VHS tapes, um, and it felt like a little kind of reminder of that, that that, that is... is that that era of uh, of technology and stuff as well, which uh, you know, although the new series still feels quite new, things like that make you think, oh yeah, God, I was still, I was I, like, I bought a packet of brand new VHS tapes to record series one uh, when it came back, and and the Doctor Who conventions that, that came on after it. Um, but yeah, because I did think when Fiona is is against the idea of the Doctor using the EMP to to wipe all the memories that have been stored in the bridge. And she says, well, you know, they're not doing anybody harm, but they, they've just, they have just nearly killed Sam by making him relive somebody's uh, suffering from the bends. And the brigadier was nearly sort of lured to his death. And he's driven that other chap almost like out of his wits, hasn't he? I mean, he's basically had to go on like leave by the end of the uh, first episode. So, Yeah, where well, she's like, oh, they're just memories. It's fine. And you're like, where, where have you been? What have you... <laughs> that must be going on for decades. I mean, how many people have they actually killed by luring them over the edge and stuff like that? <laughs> yeah, it, it's a really nice moment for the Doctor and the Brigadier meeting again. That it is when the Brigadier is in a moment of danger, and the Doctor appears to save him. I thought that was a, that was a great way of, of having them meet. And, and I have to say, meeting. pleasantly early in the episode as well, because sometimes they yeah. do hang these things back and hang these things back, and then it's mm. uh, they don't meet until like a dramatic part at the end of the episode or the end of the story. Even sometimes I was quite pleased they actually spend a lot of time together from the off. Mm. I love the line about a doctor with a crew cut. And yes, because so, <laughs> you've got because because you know because it was a brand new star, style of doctor, you know, with the leather jacket and everything, and and the and, and it's like the brigadier is saying what everyone was saying back in two thousand and five. It's like, oh, you look, you know, very different to to previous doctors, but there's a wonderful sort of there are, there are so many wonderful moments between the two of them where they're sparring you know where sort of the doctor says oh you know this is a change normally you blow them up and it, it but there's such a wonder they really do play on the history between the two characters um there's there's even like a, a, a sort of vague mention of like the five doctors and and, and things we don't, we don't get into unit dating but yes. um you know <laughs> Oh, I it, think we're going is, to. <laughs> <laughs> but it is so, so nice to have, you know, that, like you say, it, it's quite early on and then they're they're sort of together all the way through, you know, communicating with each other. It, it's really nice to have that relationship and you can see why he's wanted to go back because they are, he, he even makes a joke about it, you know, I'm going to go and, you know, my best friend and he goes, oh, I'm touched. And he's like, I wasn't talking about you. But you just know yeah. that, that is... Their relationship is a lot more sentimental now, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, the, the Pertwee one and the Tom Baker one, there was quite acerbic between the, the Brigadiers. It's only in sort of, like, latterly, and probably because mm. fans are writing it now, it's become this sort of, like, great friendship. Whereas mm. it didn't really exist mm. in the original series. 
not until the battlefield, really. Yeah, battlefield's very sentimental, isn't it? It felt like when Kate Stewart arrives in The Power of Three and she talks about, you know, science leading now, and should I learn that from my father or something? It does feel like this is the brigadier that would have instilled that in her and in, in unit, the way he talks about the doctor and he says about um, the doctor's flights of fancy and things like that. He said, I think, you know, it used to infuriate me. Now I realize it was his greatest strength. Um, he, he obviously has had time to reflect on, on our adventures and, and, you know, how it was the 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 doctor's strengths and abilities that, that got them through and, and has, uh, you know, adopted some of those now. Even when, um, towards I'm, the end, when the unit soldiers turn up and the doctor says, I, I told you not to, to call them. And he, and he says, you know, I, I had no choice. And the doctor just goes, yeah, I suppose so. You know, there, there is an acceptance on both sides, you mm. know, of, of each other's characteristics and the, in, I think there's a, a an admiration for that as well. And I suppose this doctor wanted to see him rather than was actually stuck with him as well, I suppose. So. <laughs> and he and John Coulshaw as a brigadier, he pronounces Cybermen Cybermen, which is what Nicholas Courtney always did, isn't it? What do we think of his brigadier? Uh it, do you know there are times when I I hear the brigadier that's in the Sarah uh, the Sarah Jane of you know his last appearance where where he's a lot older, I hear that sort of older more relaxed voice. There were times when I was just like, oh, not sh- not sure, not quite there. But majority of the time, it was. It was for me. It was spot on. There were, and I and I think I was saying this the other day. I've just come from watching, or I'm in the process of watching season eleven at the moment. So lots of Brigadier, younger Brigadier, and it's it's been weird comparing the two. But um, I think there are there are moments where I could I can just imagine that it that it is um, Nick Courtney. Um, there are other points where I think I don't know, it just drifts slightly, but you know. You still get that that on on tape chemistry between the two characters, which is which is lovely. I think I, I get I get carried away with it. I get carried along with it, and I can completely picture it as as the older Nicholas Courtney uh, and go along with it. And maybe to some extent, just be kind of coming used to that as well. Listening to Tim Trelaw's Third Doctor or Peter Purvis's First Doctor, you just sort of after a while, forget that it's somebody else and, and, and just go with the story and, and, and have the relevant Doctor pictured in my mind now. Become much more prevalent, hasn't it, in Big Finish to to have these recastings now? I mean, I think he's excellent in the third Doctor stories. I just, well, occasionally I just don't think he sounds old enough because in all of a sudden John Coulter was not as old as Nicholas Courtney would have been in these stories. So I think occasionally he just sounds a bit too youthful, but I mean, uh, I thought that in the other one with um, Sylvester McCoy in as well. I thought he's not quite sounding as aged as he could be. But the the intonation he has, as you say, when he quotes lines that he's um, come from classic, it, it, I mean, he's got it spot on with what he actually says. And I say in the third Doctor stories, I think he's excellent, really do. Mm-hmm. 
I love the passion that John Coleshaw brings to it in the in the making of, uh, and we've got a really good. It's like an hour long making of with this one as well. Again, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got his own thoughts on the brigadier and this doctor, and the way he snaps into character as the brigadier when he's giving he's his talking. what the brigadier would think about this doctor, mm-hmm. and it's quite poetic and 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 beautiful and really well thought out. I I love that the the fan side of John Coleshaw really comes out in those moments. I saw him on stage at, at the big finish day, the the last one before the pandemic. Uh, he was there, and uh, yeah, he's, he's very knowledgeable and very passionate about the the you know the Doctor Who parts that he plays. Uh, and he, he talked about having sort of spent an afternoon, I think, in the pub with with Nicholas Courtney at one point, and just being such a cherished memory for him, and and. You know, absolutely loving the guy, and I think that comes through in, in the performance. And and we talked about him as well. Mm. I've just come to unit dating. How old is Sam Bishop in the unit box sets then? Because he's a an army man of rank now, and this is meant to be nineteen eighty four, isn't it? And the box sets are set in sort of like now, so he must be knocking on a bit when he's, he's uh, um, in the box sets now, not sort of like uh, looking like the pictures that he always has the standard butch shot, doesn't he, in every uh, box set cover. So he must <laughs> be in his sort of like 50s rather than, as he imagined, sort of like young and uh, vital. This can't be set in the 80s because the Brigadier texts, doesn't he? This is set in the, I thought they're set in the late 90s. Oh, that's me then. That's okay. Well, I sort of assumed that because this is. I think most of the contemporary uh, stories in these Ninth Doctor audios have been early 2000s, sort of content, content you know, like when, when Doctors arrive on contemporary Earth, mm. it, it tends to be, obviously, the now that, that the stories are filmed in when they're on TV. And I assumed that these were sort of pre-2005, early 2000s. It felt like that in terms of, like, say, the, the Brigadier having a mobile phone and sending text messages mm. felt... For early two thousands, probably me actually putting the actor in. Then, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Sam talks about the TARDIS being a coffee shop, which is mm. definitely a more recent because they because they converted a whole load of them, didn't they? In, in, in Scotland, in Glasgow, yeah, in Glasgow. So, I, and I think that was that was I think that was early two thousand. So, you know, it is not today, but I think it was. I really got the so, feeling it was earlier than that, though. But what you say mm-hmm. makes total sense. But uh, I don't know why I saw that. But uh, that was kind of the impression I got. I think I just think unit stories are always going to be a lot earlier than they <laughs> than they actually are portrayed. Yeah, so Bal- Balfield is supposed to be set in the nineties, isn't it? I think I remember from the time that it was, you know, sort of slightly in the future. The way that they put they the talked about you know, the current pound coins they? and yeah. with King Trump, yeah, the five pound coins and bits and pieces and car phones. Uh, they mentioned yeah. the car phone, didn't they? And that was supposed to be like this super futuristic thing. <laughs> um, so I guess this would make sense if it was another sort of 10, 15 years on for the Brigadier. And we have the King. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was pessimistic, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the, thing I, the thing that struck me about this story, and, and we'll come on to Fiona in a moment, is what is it with Cybermen with powerful women? Who end up taking over them? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was reminded of um, oh the the Cybermen Christmas one, you know, with oh, the um, next Doctor, yeah, the next Doctor, 
Um, because, you know, Fiona is only partially converted, but ends up sort of taking over all of the Cybermen. You know, it, it's quite... Men in rubber suits are like powerful women, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know, they, they call her, you know, cyber planner, and then she, she immediately sort of dis- disposes of uh, McCreel and then eventually takes over looking after all of the, the, the Cybermen. So this is really powerful um, sort of character to, to, to carry that through, which I, which I really liked. Um, but I was thinking there are parallels between, you know, every time they say, we're going we're gonna to have a woman help us, they end up being completely dominated. <laughs> we can't blame Stephen yeah. Moffat for this one, can we, sir? <laughs> No. And, and and Fiona is almost com- set up as companion material, isn't she? Other than the, she has the discussions with Sam about how she can't leave that area because she feels so rooted. Uh, uh, she uh, she goes back generations, and she's she's really into local history, and she wants to remember all the people that died building the the Fourth Road Bridge and all that type of stuff. But the Doctor isn't party to those conversations, and the Brigadier immediately assumes that she is his companion because. Uh, acting like a companion. Yeah, there's something in her nature, and it, it almost sets up the the Rose Mickey thing with Fiona and Sam as well. That uh, the, this is the Doctor that turns up and starts cracking onto your girlfriend, basically like straight away. He's <laughs> not as he's not as awful with Sam as he is with Mickey, which is really really relief. Really, he calls Sam gorgeous though, doesn't he? Yeah. He does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, another sort of like, you're gorgeous. Off the comment, he's like, "Well, you're gorgeous," and, and you're just like, "Okay." It's it's and it's after the um the in the in the previous story in the fond farewell, uh, he talks about the he thought there was chemistry between him and Beckett <laughs> um, that he says to <laughs> to his mistress, who he doesn't know is his mistress at that point. Yeah, and uh, Fiona's the uh, name of the brigadier's um, first wife, and he doesn't hold that against her, which is quite good. <laughs> Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Do you think Sam does enough to distinguish himself that the Brigadier sees all this potential in him and recommends him for unit? Especially after giving the plan away. You've been sounding really, really taken over and weird. I'll just tell you like everything that we're doing. Mind you, the Brigadier's is bad because he does the same as well, even though he blames Sam for it, but he's he's the one who mentions the head as well. So uh, the pair of them weren't particularly bright in that one instance. Yeah. Maybe this is like Sam blackmailing the Brigadier and just like giving him a job so he doesn't mention it to people. Because <laughs> the, the the unit soldiers don't 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 come off too well in this in this story. Um, it, and it's weird because um, I've not listened to any other Sam story, so I listened to this and, and was like, okay, there's this character, and I and. I went and sort of Googled and, and had a look at it. And then I was like, oh, okay. So this is Sam's origin story, for, you know, for, for the later adventures of Unit and Lady Christina. So, you know, it's quite he gets about. an interesting one to to get into Eccleston's first sort of audio season. I didn't realise it was, I haven't listened to any of the Lady Christina ones, but I've listened to quite a lot of the Unit ones. And... He's he's not in all of them, is he? No. He's not, he pops up. Actor availability, though, isn't he? Because he's actually quite a 
it's quite an employed chap, so he's, uh, I don't think he can do as many as he probably intended. Yeah, he was in. He was Luther's sidekick, wasn't he? In the the first one or two series of Luther. Rather marvelously, though, Big Finish always seemed to use the same butch uh, pose he's got on the covers of the majority. <laughs> and uh, somebody on Twitter put put him in that pose of like every sort of like Doctor Who story in the background, which is a joy to behold. <laughs> so yeah, Warren Brown, the uh, the actor's name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and obviously he was in Praxis as well, wasn't he? As, uh... He was, yeah. As, as one of the, was it the, the gay He assaults people in supermarkets. Yeah, he was a policeman, wasn't he? That yeah. Was, uh, yeah, he was, yeah. Having issues. Mm. The Chibnall ship, the script has got to have issues. <laughs> <laughs> you do have this sort of, again, you've got this multi-strand. So you've you've got the love story between... Fiona and Sam, which is clearly not going anywhere. And mm. you say, you know, she's, she says she can't leave the area. And ironically, she won't leave the area. You know, she she ends up embodying everything that she says that she can't leave for. You know, I want to preserve everything. And she ends up doing that. He goes off with the Brigadier. He finds new adventures. And then you have this sort of relationship between the Brigadier and the, the Doctor. And I, and I think... Really, it's the it's only the sort of brigadier who could be honest with the doctor and say, you know, what's wrong. And he asks several times. He says, you know, you, you this there's something you, you're not telling me. And then he says at the end about you know, don't travel alone. I think the the time they have spent together, he, he, he's built that trust with him that he would he would listen. So you've got, you know, you've got those relationships which sort of sort of bubble along the surface in, in the rest of the story and they sort of come out, you know, one relationship is is over, but the other one is kind of cemented in in the fact that now the Ninth Doctor is engaged with the Brigadier and the Brigadier is saying to him something's not quite right. And he's not yet at a point where he can talk about it, but he's at least at the point where he recognises it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Brigadier tells him that. I was quite pleased there wasn't a heart to heart. It was, it was more in character for it not to happen, but for the reader to recognise it. I was, I was sort of thinking, oh dear, here we go. We're going to have the, uh, the great emotional um, discussion, the time war stuff. But no, and then I was quite pleased about that. I thought that was um, a mature bit of writing. Mm-hmm. It would have been easy to have, have the violins and have a destruction and oh, cause genocide, blah blah blah. But no, his step kept that covered. I thought that was great. And it was an unexpected ending, as with the fond farewell, I think, that the Cybermen survived, um, uh, along with Fiona as a cyber planner and, and are still in situ in, in Scotland. Well, perhaps as well, since the Brigadier is going to be joining their number in a few years. <laughs> yeah. He's got a place to go live now, hasn't he? So. That's it. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, he, that's probably where he goes isn't it he can go and live with that uh, little cyber community because <laughs> i was sort of thinking i wonder if they will feature in a future unit story because they're they're sort of a you know a resource that sam could call on couldn't he? he could call on fiona uh you know and, and use their their expertise or or their kind of might i suppose in a future story but their force field creating from history which the villagers use mm. which seemed a bit slightly unusual hmm 
There's a few nice little callbacks. The Doctor mentions Marinus. He talks about Planet 14. Um, the <laughs> we're not to mention talk- those, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Brigadier talks about, you know, cyber bodies in the river after the original invasion. They've so You have this weird sort of thing, and although you can't see it, you can imagine it, all these sort of different types of cyber technology because you've got, you know, what is effectively a, a broken Mondasian Cyberman. Then you've got this new sort of fourth generation uh, Cyberman, but you've also got a cyber head from the invasion, yeah. which has been sort of plugged into to the Wi-Fi, you know. But can't we? There must be a lot of cyber heads lying around because, I mean, Kate gets one as well, unless it's the same one. So it's like a unit store full of de- like decapitated Cybermen, which is a bit uh, grim if you think about it. They said every unit base has got one of these kits, these anti-Cyberman kits, haven't they? So they and they all have a cyber head um, as as one of the components. Considering they've got like bits of actual people inside them, it's a bit, it must be a bit smelly. Yeah, there. How they put them in the fridge. Do you think fourth generation uh, coming up with that pun is is not very Cyberman? Well. <laughs> I was trying to I was trying to work out whether or not, you know, within the sort of historical context of Cyberman, whether this was actually like the fourth, you know, whether this would be like the fourth version of the Cybermen. I, I I think it was in keeping with the folklore sort of side of things, I think that was a really nice touch mm. that it that it wasn't, you know, some cyber leader. And because uh, this is where I got a little bit lost, and I, I kind of got it a little bit better on the second time round. This whole idea of this sort of like generational mind imprint of mm. um, historical sort of, force field thing. Yeah, because yeah. because the first it's time I listened to it, was like, therefore you can't enter it because of our psychic field, was it, or just yeah. our emotion? Or? First time I listened, I was like, what are they talking about? Or was what it the converted is, people is, couldn't cross the line? Yeah, maybe maybe it was the cyber who couldn't cross it because they were traditionally knew they couldn't, rather than actual any physical force stopping them. I think that's the only way you can explain it. Yeah. But it yeah, was they, not entirely clear. Yeah, because the 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 original Cyberman uh, McCreel was on his own, wasn't able to establish a cyber network. So these people have been converted, but they still had their memories, which is you know why they were sort of the ghosts if you like so when the actual they managed to get hold of a cyber head and start upgrading everybody from 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 that head and start building the collective of cybermen they still had those memories and that's kind of what they they played on and obviously fiona was the expert of all these these sort of folklores and 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 everything but it it was a bit sort of all right, like when when the doctor realizes that he's actually helped the Cybermen rather than you know stopped them. Um, there's a few points like that where you you suddenly go, well, what just what just happened? But you know, minor minor points and ones that you pick up again. On a grimmer um, thought, though, I have to say, listening to it today in the uh, world we're living in now, listening to a community being attacked by an invading army was slightly more poignant than it was previously. And I have to Mm. say, that did make me have pause for thought and probably give you more of an emotional reaction I did the first time I listened to it. Yeah. Yes, that's a good point. You guys want to cheer up the podcast? (laughs) 
The, I suppose the, the title of the set, Old Friends, as well, that's what the Ninth Doctor says to the Cyberhead in Van Staten's museum in Dalek, isn't it? Oh. He says, hello, old friend. So I suppose, you know, had, had they not been on the cover afterwards, that's sort of a point of you thinking, oh, I get it, that's that's where the old friends thing comes in as well. It's not just the Brigadier, is it? It's, it's the Cybermen themselves. I miss that entirely. <laughs> How do we feel about the Ninth Doctor now meeting people from the past and from his future and things like that? He's sort of like, previous to this, he's always been quite a... A figure who's been alone, and now he's sort of being drawn into the the Who continuity by his fans, isn't he? Do we like this, or do we like him being outside it all? I I quite liked it. I think I when I was sort of reviewing the whole season, I wasn't very fond of the first three parter, and then Mark will remember. <laughs> We had a long debate about that, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the fact that the Doctor got a new companion, but it was so timey-wimey that sort of the beginning of episode two was at the start of episode one, and then you went through this whole thing, I think it was, was it Marnie, who at the end of the third episode, everything had been reset, there was a massive reset, and you, you didn't know what was going to happen. And Nova seen again, uh-huh. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, and then you went into these, you know, for me, amazing one one episode sort of you know segments of of you know different stories, and I and I think I'm quite happy now that we've had a number of stories of standalone where you know it, there's been a few people that you thought that could you know that person would have made a really good companion, but he's really not interested he's kind of mm. like you know the end of each one the computer ai you know from that that evolves at the end of the story when he um you know that again amazing that would have been fantastic as a as a companion but he he just sort of goes right i'm off now see ya take care and 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 moves on and so i think coming towards the end of this season I think it was quite nice for him to to dip back into the past. I'm not saying that it should be happening all the time because I think, you know, the stories where he's on his own and meeting new people and getting involved in new things have been the better ones. Mm. And they haven't been bogged down by things. So I think this story for me was was there was lots of different elements of it that I really liked. So it it worked, but I I wouldn't necessarily want him to then do a whole you know, the next season of I'm going to go back and visit so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Mm-hmm. I think this is just a nice poignant moment where he's at a point where he's happy to see someone he knows rather than, you know, the sort of nomadic lifestyle that he's developed where he just goes along and helps out, you know, the, like the respond to call, to to, um, to all calls where he just, he just picks up a distress signal and goes. Um this is a little bit more grounded. Probably the closest he's come to inviting someone to join him to travel is when he says to the brigadier at the end of this story, mm-hmm. uh, you know, are you, are you volunteering to come aboard sort of thing? Um, and you get the feeling that if the brigadier had said yes, <laughs> uh, he's the one person that he would have took along. And I, I, 
I mean, gotta admit, I would have been happy with a box set of, <laughs> of that. Uh, you know, it's oh, don't worry, I'll have you back in time to to meet Doris. <laughs> Just, it's every episode that starts with a text message from Doris going, "Where are you?" <laughs> <laughs> It's really, uh, the same thing happens with Rose, and it's like it's a year later, and, and Doris has moved on and married someone else. <laughs> <laughs> he he wouldn't put that massive house at risk. He's, Ooh, got, no. he's got a he's got a very cushy life. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to, what what do you think? What do you your thoughts? I, I think I agree. the 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 first that opening story, the Ravages, <clears throat> was a bit of a an oddity compared to the rest of them, wasn't it? It's kind of an outlier. The the way it was structured, the way it was very heavy out there, timey-wimey sci-fi stuff. The rest of it has been a bit more grounded, a bit more emotional. Uh, you know, and then culminating in this set where it's very personally, say, they say the, the resolutions of the first plot was, you know, it was about just sort of a marriage and... and uh, and love, and then you know this one hinges on on Fiona, doesn't it? And her relationship to the place where she is. So they've, as, as the series has gone on, I think it it's maybe uh, you know found its groove a bit more, and uh, the and especially the last the last two sets have uh, been been really really strong. How about you, Keith? Um. Well, I mean. To be charitable, I think they needed to get a lot of scripts together quite quickly because he had agreed to it. They had a limited time. So I think they need they possibly um, the original box set may have been on the back burner, had been brought in maybe a bit quicker than anticipated, maybe. Um, but after, but I think the second set has been my favourite, and especially the story with the AI, which I thought was extraordinarily good. I really enjoyed that. Um, but it's just been really nice to hear Christopher Eccleston saying different words as the Doctor because best will in the world, that first series of New Who, we have watched to death now. And we can probably quote it. And it's just nice to hear him saying different things to different people in different situations. So if nothing else, it, that has been a, an extraordinary success. And, uh, and it, it has changed my view of the Ninth Doctor and of Eccleston because I suppose it's... Because he did seem so far away from the series, he did um, appear to distance himself, and then he did sort of start saying things contrary to, the, I mean, the great triumvirate of the, the producers of New Who, or like nice, jolly people who, as fans, we like, and he was different in his point of view of that. And I did kind of resent that. I, I wanted Doctor Who to be a massive success and happy, and I didn't like to hear of things not being as pleasant in the background and I did sort of taint my view of Christopher Eccleston and then I mean I used to have this regular joke as why is the ninth doctor never hungry because he can always eat the chips on his shoulder I mean that was my <laughs> my default setting but and I used to say Eccleston as well to be fair but now we've seen him at conventions being quite a fun killer and we've seen him in new situations I mean he's embracing who he's not prepared to um, do multi-doctor stories and stuff like that, but then neither did Tom Baker for 20 years, was it? So, until he finally uh, bit the bullet. So, I mean, that is his prerogative. But the, the fact to see him enjoying it, 
the fact to see him sort of interacting with fans. I rewatched that uh, interview he did with that uh, lad with the autism the other day, and that is just so delightful to watch. And there's that lovely video of him sort of as the doctor helping a couple um, propose, and just little things like that. And it has softened uh, my opinion of the night of of Christopher Eccleston as the Ninth Doctor. And this box set has been a major part of that. Him enjoying himself on the um, and on the extras on the box sets and the fact he's admitted he did it for the money, but the fact he's enjoyed doing it for the money. Mm-hmm. I think that honesty of approach has been quite pleasant as well. So, uh, yeah, it's has, it has altered my view of his persona of the Doctor. I think, yeah, I think... I think it- a similar sort of thing for me. I think he's, you know, he talks about his love for the series and for the part, for the role. Um, reading his autobiography as well, um, we asked him when that came out, but, you know, the last couple of years as well gives gives his side of the story and perspective on it. And, and you know, you, you hear about, you know, how much he, he actually liked the character. It was It was the circumstances... That, uh, that that caused the issues and and uh, and made him leave. But you know, he's always said in interviews, he's happy for anyone to come up to him. He'll sign anything. He'll talk about Doctor Who. So it's uh, it's good to see that. Yeah, now he seems more comfortable with it, and uh, and they say embracing conventions, playing the Doctor again. Uh, and I feel like he feels more relaxed in the part as well. He's he's not as Mancunian in it. He talks more like he does in his natural accent, whereas the Mancunian part of it was a bit dialed up on TV. It was a little bit exaggerated. So it felt maybe more mannered sort of thing, whereas he, yeah, just feels generally more relaxed and more comfortable. And I think the, you know, the humorous side of him work, works better for that as well in these ones. It, it could seem a bit forced at times, that sort of like fixed grin that he would do on TV was you know felt like oh this this is this is how you do quirky whereas it's it's more in the delivery now which you have to do on audio anyway but yeah i feel, I feel it works better for this incarnation um I, I met him at one of his first conventions and you know before the pandemic and what struck me was, was a bit like you've just said keith is his enthusiasm for it you know he was quite happy to, you know, he wanted to stop and talk to people. People had gone up to him, you know, he, you know what, sort of some of the um, conventions are like, it's kind of like, yeah, you've got your 30 seconds, move on. But he was genuinely like, oh, you know, thank you so much for coming to see me. I had to, you know, I love the Doctor. Do you love the Doctor? There was so much warmth, which which really took me, took, took me aback because you know, lots of things I'd read about him, um, and, and there is there was part of me was like, well, he's just here because he's getting paid a lot of money to to sign things. But and I, and I wonder whether he went into this thinking, well, this will just be a bit of a side project to get a little bit of money, and he's actually grown to 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 love it. But his his portrayal of the Doctor, I I I love whether the the story is is brilliant or not. I could listen to Christopher Eccleston play the Doctor. You know, if he never comes back for an anniversary special, fine. I'll be disappointed, but fine. But we will have more Ninth Doctor stories with Christopher Eccleston. And that, to me, is precious. Mm -hmm. Because 
one season was not enough. And, and now we have new stories to, you know, spark our imagination and to just enjoy um, as much as he seems to be enjoying doing them. And in the next set, he, he, he'll overtake his TV stories, a number of TV stories. I and mean, I guess the all the Doctors have probably uh, done that like several times over, probably with Big Finish by now. But yeah, that'll be the um, the, the next kind of milestone for for Eccleston. Will be there'll be more stories committed to audio than uh, than to, to the TV. So what do we think? Do we think River Song? Do we? Which <laughs> we're just going to be the first crossover? <laughs> 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 Joe, maybe, maybe Ace would be an interesting one for him to meet. The kind of the the TV companion before the you know the Time War. Yeah, it might be. Although they they just kind of done that with the Thirteenth Doctor, haven't they? Um, with the book with with Sophie Elder's book. So, mm. not sure. I feel like it's going to be more <laughs> standalone and. Um, Kind of uh, yeah, new new uh, paving new new paths for him. And I think I'd be quite happy with that. I mean, some of the some of the stories you would imagine have been lifted straight out of the two thousand and five series. You know, some of them have really felt like those. Um, you know, those the original series. So yeah, be happy with with some more standalones. So that's Old Friends, available now from Big Finish on CD, download, and limited edition vinyl. Thank you very much for joining me, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Let our listeners know where we can find you on the internet. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I am Jixter2009 on Twitter. I also um, record classic who reviews with um phantom and you can find us on the phantom youtube channel there's normally an episode out every saturday morning and what, what do you have coming up uh we are just about to finish our season 20 review so uh, we are currently midway through the uh the black guardian trilogy fantastic i look forward to that and Keith? I am just on Twitter. I am 50DW50. And you can find me on Twitter as at QuackMcMalice. The podcast is at Trap1 underscore. And you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. And you can find all our previous episodes at trap1.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do consider leaving, leaving us a star rating or a review to help other Doctor Who fans find the podcast. And please tune in next week. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.